0: Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with gift mode on Etsy.
1: Bet the board in conjunction with NASCAR presents... Stay green.
2: Stay green is your first stop for all the metrics, matchups, and money-making
1: opportunities at the track each race week. This is Stay Green, the NASCAR betting podcast. Here are your hosts Todd Furman and racing analyst Chris Wormy?
2: Welcome into the Stay Green Podcast, a bet the board production in conjunction with NASCAR. And we are officially through the first phase of the NASCAR postseason 16 cars down to 12. Plenty of surprises that we'll get into over the course of today's show. I'm your host, Todd Furman, joined as always by professional sports better, racing analyst, and my esteemed colleague, Chris Wormy. And Worm, if I'd have told you going into the round of 16 that two former NASCAR champions would be sent packing, your response to that would have been?
1: I thought one of them wouldn't make it through, but two of them? I'm a little shocked, to be honest. I kind of thought that I made a call... um, back with Derek and the boys when they did their live feed at Daytona that I thought one Gibbs car wouldn't make it through due to issues. So I was right about that, kind of shocked about Kevin Harvick. I'm not going to lie.
2: Pretty incredible. When you look at the up and down season the 18 has had, we obviously highlighted his move to RCR that'll begin next year. You begin to wonder how to handicap him going forward for the final seven races that he'll be behind the wheel of the 18, but I'm not going to bury the lead. You mentioned Kevin Harvick, and he had some pretty strong comments in the wake of his dismissal from the playoffs. It was pretty tough. We pitted in front of the 17, Chris Pusher. So just kind of the way the year has gone, just went from having a chance to lead the parade to being part of the parade. Just difficult to pass. So we'll see the 4 and the 18 racing out the stretch without a chance to win the prize. Those folks new to the Stay Green podcast, stage one, it's all about racing recaps and what we saw last weekend and some of the carnage that was the night race at Bristol. Stage two, we'll shift our focus to the big picture for the playoffs and some of the betting opportunities that may or may not exist. And last but certainly not least, stage three, all about the preview for the upcoming race this weekend at Texas. And I want to remind you guys to follow Chris on Twitter. That's at Chriswormy15. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there, most importantly follow the podcast. And Worm, in the wake of Kyle Busch having a failure at Bristol, Kevin Harvick ends up on the wrong side of the playoff ledger. You did have some interesting comments from David Wilson of Toyota Racing Development taking responsibility, saying that Toyota cost the 18 a chance at a deeper playoff run. It's always baffling to me on some level that you see two cars run as well as the 11 and the 20 have so far, and the 19 and 18 unfortunately haven't been able to stay out of their own way.
1: Well, this has just been the whole season. Like, if you had to choose, you know, what cars had issues and what didn't, like, this is, I don't know, it's, man, the whole Toyota um, issues, let's just call them, uh, at this, during this race, and then to have the 45 team and the 23 go back out on the track, like, uh, you know, kind of what's going on here? Like, I haven't seen anything like this in a while, and... Man, I just, I don't know if this has to do with just setups. I mean, I don't know enough about race cars to to say whether it was a setup or not, but it sounds like uh, Toyota's kind of saying, hey, this is on us. And unfortunately, that's, that's affecting Kyle Busch's, you know, kind of victory lap in the 18. And it's kind of unfortunate, in my opinion, because he's such a good race car driver. And to see the engine failures and to see him have an early exit, I mean, Terrible for Toyota and Gibbs and Kyle Busch, but really, really good for everyone that made it through this first stage of the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. I still think he could win a race throughout the rest of the year, but will he have playoff implications? Just it's a no. And, you know, I I knew that one Gibbs team was going to struggle. I did not think it would be, you know, kind of just Toyota in general. That would have issues. So it'll be interesting to see these uh, this next round of, of 12.
2: Yeah, it's always fascinating when you look at the racing developments, and we know how talented Kyle Busch is. He's immediately going to make RCR into a better race team when he joins them to start the 2023 season. And you want to talk about giving a guy a chip on his shoulder, I'll say that it's probably more like a boulder when he wants <laughs> to go out there and race some of the lasting images that 2022 will leave in the memory bank. But I unfortunately didn't start with what should have been the headline. Third straight playoff race, third straight non-playoff driver that grabs the checkered flag. This time it's Christopher Busher, wins his second Cup Series race, and this one he did in the honest fashion, actually leading the final lap not relying on Mother Nature to get him into victory lane.
1: Well, hats off to this whole, you know, Ross Fenway, Keselowski team. I mean, they've had speed. And I'm really happy for Chris Buescher. Here's the deal with Chris Buescher. He's a really good race car driver. And if you can get him in good equipment, he's going to produce results. I'm really happy that they decided to take two tires, get out there and lead laps. You know, here's the thing. If there's no caution there, like Brad Kozlowski probably wins the race. So his teammate would have won without the caution. Now there is a caution. And then all of a sudden he takes two tires. Track position was so important this week. And you know what? This is a really big win for this team and for, for Chris Busher. Chris Busher is a really, really good race car driver. And I would want him in my corner. And to see him actually get some results um, from a win perspective, I think is awesome. He's been, he's been there. He's had a chance to win. He just hasn't done it uh, in a cup car. And I think that there's a chance he could win another race throughout the rest of the season. But you know what? The, the fact that that team's showing speed, both the 6 and the 17, I, I don't want to say they dominated because that's not the word I'd use to describe what happened in that race. But they were there, and he took advantage of it. So uh, hats off to that 17 team.
2: I think it's just a further illustration of what NASCAR set out to accomplish in the next-gen car. We now have 19 different race winners, ties a modern-era series record set way back in 2001. And you have to believe that a couple of these race teams now have extra data points. They can use them when they go into the offseason and try and give themselves a springboard into 2023, where maybe we'll see even more parity. When you look at the way that Bristol played out, it was more a race of attrition than anything else, and to your point, showed how much progress RFK has made as a racing team. The first victory for Roush Fenway, obviously before Brad Keselowski came on, since Ricky Stenhouse back in 2017, and to your point, the two-tire strategy made all the difference in the world. Unfortunately, from a handicapping and betting standpoint, the no tire wear philosophy that we saw play out, including Brad go the entire first stage without changing tires, made it a little bit more difficult to handicap and probably further illustrates why I think we made a prudent decision not adding a race day best bet, but at least we're able to get to the window with Kyle Larson as a top five position with the five car coming home fifth.
1: Here's the deal. You, you, t- you want to take a, a, a 20th place car and put them in the top five? Just get the track position that's the difference. I mean, some of these cars that were running up front, the last, you know, restart when, you know, let's just say that they restarted 20th and then there was a caution 20 laps in and everyone took tires and they inherited track position by staying out. Well, they were tough to pass. I mean, a tire fall off is so important to um, passing a NASCAR. I mean, I really hate the fact that you can take a 20th place car and get it out in clean air and it can win. Now, I understand from a parity standpoint how that's, I don't know, I- important to NASCAR. But then again, you, you want to make sure that you're rewarding teams that have cars that can work through the field. And when you don't have a tire that falls off, ooh, man, a lot of people can win. So if you throw in tire fall off or lack thereof, lack thereof a tire fall off, and then you throw in... Uh, Mechanical failures, whether it's the right front or power steering, all of a sudden, instead of betting NASCAR, you're almost playing the lottery. It it, it becomes very difficult to to um, value specific bets. So the fact we're on the sidelines, I was so happy. I mean, we were watching this race, and you kept texting me like, "Thank you so much for not being involved in this race." <laughs> I'm like, I've never been thanked so much for. Not being involved, and it was, it was, it was tough to watch uh, at times. When you know, it, it, it this isn't the first race of the season. You know, this is this is what what are we? Uh, how many twenty-eight races in twenty? I mean, twenty-nine 20, races, 20, I think, with Bristol. Twenty-nine races in, and we're starting to we're learning more about the car. That that's tough. Not only from a you know, from a crew chief and a team perspective, let alone a betting perspective. So uh, super happy to be on the sidelines. I'm not going to lie.
2: Well, we, we talk all the time. I mean, the most important thing you have as a sports bettor is your capital and how you choose to deploy your bankroll. Sometimes sitting on the sidelines can be more beneficial than actually flipping coins when you don't feel you have a perceived edge. And I felt Bristol was the exact illustration of how all of that worked out what i did find interesting in the wake of so many cars having various issues that scott miller the vp of competition for nascar said it was unacceptable to have problems but part of the learning experience referring more to the power steering issues for toyota nascar didn't obviously discuss the right front flat tires going down that we saw more often than not on ford and i think that may be more illustrative of how their cars were set up doing damage on the get off on those restarts for the first couple laps, and then ultimately seeing them blow tires as you went deeper and deeper into the run.
1: There's no question that aggressive setups were punished a little bit, right? Because you didn't see it across all manufacturers, right? You saw like an ongoing theme, whether it was power steering or the right front tire. But here's the deal. You have to make it to the end of the race. And this has all of a sudden become kind of a battle of attrition, this playoffs. Like, hey, we need to make sure that we're... We are, you know, we have a car capable of making it to the end of the race. And so instead of just searching for speed and comfortability for the driver where they can work the bottom and the top, you're looking at like, hey, do we have enough speed? Can we work the bottom and the top? And can we finish the race with this car? And if you're a NASCAR team and you're not thinking about is this too aggressive of a setup, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And it needs to be something that you just kind of factor in. And you know what? I don't know how much driving styles take into account that because, I mean, Kyle Busch, his thing, he loves to just spin out, you know, and, and then you saw, <laughs> obviously his issues were, were catastrophic, uh, this last race. But, you know, even a guy like Chris Bell, who has seemed to kind of stay out of trouble for the most part, you know, obviously he blows a tire, um, Quick fortunate in, yellow yeah.
2: flag for the 20. I'll tell you yeah that you much. know
1: what we can just go right into that. What did you think about the caution there?
2: I, I thought it was interesting because this is the one thing that we see all the time as NASCAR betters and fans, I, I think all we want is consistency when when you're throwing the yellow flag. So when does it make it mandatory to throw it for a flat tire? When does it create an unsafe situation on the track? I know Bristol is a little bit different because it's essentially racing in a blender at a shade more than a half mile. (laughs) Cars, if you blow a tire on that high line, you don't necessarily have a chance to pull down a pit road and get out of harm's way. On a mile and a half track or a two mile track, it's a little bit different. I want to see drivers make the best effort to get themselves out. I don't want to see them rewarded if there's something that goes wrong, even if it's beyond their control during the course of a green flag.
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head. Like the drivers have to make an effort to get off the track and that's tough because sometimes if you're able to spin out, you know, arbitrarily, whatever you want to call it, you know, you get the caution, you maintain a a certain amount of track position. You're not going to lose a lap. And I think that's where it got hard because there's a lot of Keselowski fans. Obviously there's some bias that's, you know, involved in some of the comments that are made about when NASCAR throws a a caution or not. Uh, but I think that, you know, you, you have to take a look at how dangerous that situation is and, and what the track looks like behind the driver. I don't think it's necessarily in front of the driver, right? You know, if they're running three wide behind Chris bell, when he hits the wall and blows a tire, well, you should probably throw the caution. And the same goes for Brad Kozlowski when he's out there leading the race. And you know what? I mean, I had Brad Kozlowski live and it was safe for him after he blew a tire for him to get on pit road. And whether it affects my pocketbook or not, I have to look at it and say, you know what? He could have gotten on pit road, but I do understand fans that are upset that, you know, there's a little bit of inconsistency. Listen, there's always going to be an amount of subjectivity that comes into play when it comes to cautions, because, you know, what's safe and what isn't it is hard to define. And NASCAR is in a tough spot. But it did seem, just from the outsider looking in, as much of an outsider I guess that we are. That you know the caution came out pretty quickly for for Chris Bell, and you know from a racing perspective, it's tough to argue with that. If someone's going to throw the flag when someone hits the wall after blowing a tire at Bristol, it, it, it's tough to argue. I'm not going to lie. It's it's actually it's tough to, to argue with that than it is with them not throwing the flag um, for Brad Kay, but Brad Kay was able to get on pit road safely. So might be a little bit of fan bias there, but either way, as long as these drivers feel safe, that's the important thing.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I think safety should be the number one concern. And obviously you want all these drivers to be out of harm's way. I think it's just so punitive when you look at having to pit under green at Bristol with a flat tire, you don't lose one lap, you are out lose two laps. I mean, in a best case scenario, exactly. You're losing three laps, so it's a little bit different when it happens at some of the intermediate tracks, your ability to get that lap back, or if it happens at a Pocono or a road course, you may not even lose a lap because you can pit under green and still work your way into the mix. So so many different factors uh, that combine there, but overall, you look at Bristol, to your point, I think attrition was probably the single best word you could use to describe it. Um, It's one of the more Iconic races on a great short track under the lights. We just wish we would have seen uh, some of the best drivers have a chance to go out there and compete under more optimal conditions. We'll wave the green white checker flag and throw it out there at the end of stage one, like we always do at the top of the show. Remind you guys to follow Chris on Twitter at ChrisWormy15. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there. Most importantly, Follow the podcast at bet the board pod and worm. I felt like stage two. Normally we talk about some of the gambling concepts, building race cards, all of that sort of thing. This provided us the perfect Avenue to discuss the next elimination stage. We know how difficult it may be on the surface. Texas will be the first race this Sunday. Then we'll head to Talladega where anything that can happen will happen. And last the Roval as an elimination race. So when you try and figure out how to describe this, I felt like survive in advance. It was the term that Bob Pachrass used, and I felt it was perfect to illustrate these next three races and how unpredictable they can be. So much so that Kyle Larson on this phase, it's a weird bunch of tracks, so I don't know. Hopefully Texas will go good, and Talladega we can get some breaks. Usually super speedways aren't good for me, so we'll see. Christopher Bell on the importance of Texas. There would be no better place than Texas to win because that's going to be a very important race knowing but you're reading the subtext there that if you don't win at Texas, you throw yourself at the mercy of the racing gods trying to figure all of that out. And when we look at the standings, three teams account for the remaining 12 drivers. Only 34 points, though, separate Chase Elliott and 12th place driver Austin Sindrick. The point gap from 1st to 12th in recent seasons has been significantly higher. 57 points last year, 66 the year before, 46 in 2019, and 50-plus in both 2017 and 2018. I lay all of that out to ask you this, when you look at the standings that get reset, and for those folks new to NASCAR, everything resets to 3,000 points, it doesn't matter necessarily where you finished in the first elimination phase of the postseason, so Chase Elliott, 31 points clear of the cut line, Joey Logano behind him at 18 Ross Chastain at 11, and then it's an absolute logjam for the rest of them. When you look at the standings and you try and identify where there may be an opportunity to see a driver that's overvalued or undervalued, is there anybody that stands out overall in the big picture.
1: I think it's important to understand like these three races as a whole in order to like make a prediction, right? The, the only track that I think you can, I don't know, make it feel comfortable understanding who's going to be good would be the Roval, right? We're probably going to come with a similar tire to one of the road courses we've been on Talladega. I mean, good luck. If you, if you make a prediction there and you're right, then you're (laughs) good job. But I would say this, you need speed in your race car to be fast at Texas. As much as I've kind of, um, you know, kind of been on the sidelines for the most part during Texas races. I did think during the all-star race that the faster cars were able to make their way to the front, whether it was easy to pass or not. Let's throw that aside. The faster cars were at the front towards the end of the race. Now, if you look at the four cars on the outside looking in, you're looking at Cindric, Suarez, Bowman, and Briscoe. Well, what cars have had speed recently? You know, so I would say of all those four cars, Bowman has probably had the most speed recently. I don't know where, by the way. Like I, I don't even know where it came from. Like all of a sudden, two weeks ago, Bowman was fast, and then he was he was decent. Well, at Brisco- well,
2: you know, William. William Byron the same way. So it leads me to believe that HMS may have been playing games over the second half of the season, allowing the nine and five to do what they do. But suddenly for the 48 and 24 to show speed that they did early in the season, for me, it just leaves I'm just scratching my head.
1: Well, it's just like all of a sudden Bowman's leading the most laps in a race after running 20th week in and week out. So I would say this, I would give a slight edge to Alex Bowman. You know, he's six point six points out. But then you look at the guys that are just barely in. You have Blaney, Bell, Hamlin. I mean, Denny Hamlin. That's crazy to think, by the way. And then you have, you know, William Byron. Now those, they're within like within 13 points of each other. So this is like a super man. This is a super fluid situation. I I would say the value would lie in Bowman. And if you're Denny Hamlin, I think you have to be a little concerned because he's had so much speed in his race car. He's been arguably the best car in almost every race recently, but you have to get those finishes. It's so important uh, to the future of, you know, the year. And he just hasn't been able to do it quite successfully, even though he's had speed. So I would say right now, the, the value is in Alex Bowman just because he's had speed uh, and, and speed is one thing that if you have it, as long as you're, you know, minimizing your mistakes, you can get good finishes. But Denny Hamlin should be uh, pretty upset that he's only four points clear at this point. I think that that's 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 almost shocking in my opinion that Denny's in the situation he is.
2: Well, and I think to your point, a lot of people have Denny penciled in to not just the next round, but also getting into Phoenix. But one bad race here can derail plans. And we know the one big thing missing from Denny's resume as a professional at this particular Stage you know the highest level in NASCAR Is of course that series championship So he'd love to be able to check That off his bucket list and when you look at Denny Five career super speedway wins But they haven't been kind to him this year The Toyotas in general have struggled on road courses And and Joe Gibbs Racing When you look at Hamlin no exception With not a single top ten so if he's not able To have a good finish at Texas Then he throws himself at the mercy of Talladega And Lord only knows what can happen at the Roval Uh, I think it makes for a Much more dynamic and fluid standings for these guys if they're not able to perform well this weekend you mentioned the four drivers below the cut line Uh, i was blown away with the 14 when you look at chase briscoe who has one top 10 finish in his last 21 races yet with a win in this particular phase none of that matters it's the greatest and worst part all rolled in together when you're talking about parody you're talking about creating drama and trying to find form when you need it most to be able to continue to move through the playoffs. So should be a, a great race at Texas, knowing the emphasis that all the drivers have placed on it. Of course, so much to be decided over the next three weekends before we know who can move forward to what I think you and I believe will be a slightly more predictable phase when you talk about Homestead. You're including Martinsville in there uh, and a couple of other wrinkles from a handicapping standpoint that could lend themselves to identifying some value. Yeah, this so is... All bunched up
1: and nowhere to go. Yeah, this is, this is the wild card, you know the three races. I mean, it's no secret. You're talking about, you know, a a super speedway restrictor plate. You're also talking about a a very um, momentum driven track in Texas. And and then you go to a road course where, listen, I think we have a, a firm grasp on like who's good at road courses, but ultimately this is very different than some of the other road courses we find. And here's the thing, like, I also look at a guy like Austin Sindrick. Austin Sindrick has speed on fast tracks. So, like, you know, there's a chance that Austin Sindrick, you know, who's a great road course racer, if he goes out there and has a decent finish at Texas, you know, he could be kind of sitting good going in if there's someone like uh, a Denny Hamlin, Chris Bell, Ryan Blaney, or like a William Byron that tend to struggle a little bit. And, you know, this is... I think that there's also maybe a little value on Cindric. Now that I sit here and look at it and think about it, this guy's a great road course racer and I think he will be good at Texas. Anytime you have you're on the throttle a lot, that two cars tends to be good. Anytime that you spend uh, you know, time in the corner off the throttle or even on the brake, that's where Cindric t- tends to struggle. So uh it'll it'll be really interesting to see how things play out. And, you know, Ryan Blaney, I mean he hasn't had speed in a while. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that there's, there's some things that could get mixed up here in the next three races. And I think that the, 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 the round of eight will be a little bit more predictable, but man, anything can happen, uh, you know, in the next three weeks.
2: Yeah, famous last words for us. Anytime we think something will be more predictable, it gets flipped completely exactly. upside down, and here we are left scrambling, trying to identify some opportunities that are there. When you look at Ryan Blaney, uh, still advanced by 26 points during the round of 16 despite finishing down 150 laps this past weekend at Bristol. When you look at the 12 overall, he did win the all-star race at Texas, three career super speedway wins, and has won at the Charlotte Road course at least once in his career. Don't. You'll see exactly what kind of don't, car. The 12. Don't do it. Todd. <laughs> We'll see what kind of car the 12 unloads this weekend at Texas. With one to go in Stage 2, like we always do around these parts, I want to remind you where you can check all of the great on-track activity this weekend. And things will start in earnest at 10.35 Eastern time on Saturday with a forecast calls for sunny and hot right in the heart of Fort Worth, Texas, a high of 98. You can see Xfinity Series practice on USA Network at 10.35 Eastern. That's followed by Xfinity Series qualifying at 11.05 Eastern. Cup Series practice gets underway essentially at high noon, 12.35 Eastern. Cup Series qualifying right after that. And then you'll get the Xfinity Series race at 3.30 p.m., 200 laps, 300 miles, everything available on USA Network. The weekend will wrap up on Sunday, September 25th. Forecast for race day, mostly sunny, stray shower or thunderstorm possible, high of 95, 15% chance of rain, 330 Eastern Cup Series race, 334 laps, a shade more than 500 miles on USA Network. All right, Worm, on to the race, stage three. When you look at Texas Motor Speedway, track specs, mile and a half, intermediate track. We did run here for the All-Star Race, but there were different rules and unique nuances, different tire compounds. So we can use that, obviously, as a data point, a little bit different. 334 laps we'll run on Sunday, low tire wear. It is the same tire that we just recently used at a mile and a half track at Kansas. This will be the first time, though, Texas represents the first race in the round of 12 obviously if you're looking at track history texas went through a repave and a reconfiguration back in 2017 so don't use any data points before that joey logano some interesting comments as well in regards to differences from the All-Star Race, the car has developed and changed. It's going to be different than where we were last time. Weather will be different, resin, and how it's applied. Those type of things will be different. IndyCar has raced there since we've been there, so there's a lot of change that can happen. But this next round is a pretty tough one. One thing to keep in mind, the 12 will not be traveling to Texas with his full complement of racing compatriots as a result of the violation of Section 10 dash five, dash two, dash six, dash D. Officials issued a four race suspension to three team members, the crew chief, Jonathan Hassler, pit crew member Zachary Price, who's a rear tire changer and Graham Stoddard, who works the Jack. So the 12 team will have to work on the fly. I give you all of that to ask you this question, track comps, data points. What are we using to start the handicapping process for this Sunday?
1: I mean, I just can't help but laugh. I mean, you listen to all that. It's like, uh how do you have an opinion before this race? Like legit. I I I think that speed is the most important thing. And you know, after kind of, you know, dissecting Lacano's comments, they, they don't know either. And listen, I think it's I I I actually was shocked when I went back and watched the All-Star race. I I was kind of shocked that There was so much passing. And I think that if you restarted in the first two or three rows that you actually had a chance, like the faster cars were able to make passes. Now, the one thing we didn't see was anyone stay out uh, from the rear, you know, or someone that was running maybe 15th place, stay out and have cars chasing them with fresher tires. You just didn't see that because the leader stayed out. And I think you'll see more of the same. It, the, the hard part is, is, it, you know, looking at this race, what teams are going to be super aggressive when it comes to their strategy in order to win. And you know what? It might not be these teams on the cut line. This is the first time I've actually looked, I'm going to actually take into account where they're sitting from a points perspective. And you know what? If there's not tire failures, I think you'll see teams stay out and just maintain track position. But if you do see tire failure, I think it's really important to understand that, you know what, maybe guys will just come in and take tires and be happy finishing, you know, 8th to 15th, understanding that that will get them into the next round of the playoffs. So this is a very interesting situation, especially when you have a wild card in the following week when it comes to Talladega and then a road course in Talladega. you know, the Roval coming up.
2: I mean, when you look at some of the prices, obviously the usual suspects see their numbers in single digits. Denny Hamlin, the race favorite, depending on where you shop at a price of five to one. Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, both in that same price range a shade lower at seven to one. Chase Elliott at eight to one. And that's where things start to get interesting. When you look at the race favorites, at least on paper, is there a particular driver that stands out to you as a guy you've identified going in that you expect to be very good and a favorite that you look at that price and go, you know what odds makers are forcing you to pay a premium. And I'm a little bit skeptical of the kind of piece he's going to have under him. Come race. day.
1: Well, Ryan Blaney to me stands out. I'll just say that when Ryan Blaney, I
2: said, I said favorites. There's not an echo around here. We'll get to the value propositions in a minute, but sure. If you want to jump the gu- jump the gun, go ahead, my friend, talk about the 12th. Well,
1: I don't think there's a value in the favorites. That's what I'm getting to. Well, I don't, I don't think I there's a... I, pre- I don't think there's a... I cut
2: you off prematurely. Go ahead. Defend your point. I think, this is an open forum. It's a safe space.
1: I think Post- Ryan Blaney is the only one that has value. It's really hard to understand who's going to come in and unload quickly, right? Like, who's going to be good? And I would say that, you know, when you look at, you know, Larson, Hamlin, you know, Elliott, and Bell, like, those guys are... I don't know. They're kind of safely in, so I think that those guys will kind of well, with the exception with the exception of Chris Bell. I think the you'll see Larson, Hamlin, and Elliott play it very safe. They're not gonna they're not gonna stay out on older tires because if there's a chance for a tire failure, that could kind of set them, you know, put them a little behind the eight ball before they go into a Talladega, which is a complete, you know, who knows. And then you have a a road course where, you know, outside of chase Elliott, you know, the other two guys, they could unload poorly and and have a bad race. So I think you, you kind of have to, I'm not betting any favorites this, this early in the the week. That's for (laughs) sure. I mean, by the way, (laughs) I'm very opinionated on this right now. Like I I think that betting favorites right now, you, you are really putting yourself behind the eight ball. I really do.
2: And it, it, well, before, well, I think it comes with a caveat before they unload as well. Now, granted, I'm not saying load up your race card on Sunday with all sorts of 5 and 6 to 1 prices, but what we've seen, if the betting markets are any indication, none of these prices are going to be slashed. Years past, you could see Denny Hamlin at 5 to 1, and on race day, the price could open at 5 to 2 if he had a dominant car during practice. We haven't seen anything close to that, given the current format that we have for NASCAR, the weight. You have limited track time as far as practicing, and the way we haven't seen a dominant machine weekend. Dominant car in practice. When does that matter? That used to matter. Yeah, being good. Saying it doesn't anymore. That's why we're not seeing these short prices. Being
1: good in practice. I mean, you want to look at practice last week. You want to talk about Hamlin probably had the best car. Maybe Larson and the eighteen were you know probably the top three. Huh. I mean, it. it, It's weird to say that, like, if you look at practice times, you might be a little behind. Like, you have to look at the whole race team. And and that's the first time. I know this is the first time we've had this conversation. Like, we 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 base a lot of what we do off of practice. And if you look at the last three or four weeks, practice is, is I, I don't want to say irrelevant, but it's become one of those things where you can just, just justify a bet. Based on fast practice times. And if you do that, you might not win. I mean, that's that's the way that things are. You almost have to look at it, like you said earlier. It's an attrition. It's a battle of attrition. And if you can find yourself, you know, on that final stop within the top six, and you have a chance to, to maybe make a play for two tires or no tires, or, you know, if fuel's an issue and you need to take fuel to, to get home, you know, you do it. And... Anything can happen. There's probably 15 cars that are fast enough to to win races week in and week out. And we saw that this week. I mean, the fact that, you know, two left side tires that were 50 laps old was able to hold off, you know, two or three of the dominant cars of the race. And I'm not saying Chase Elliott was dominant. But, man, uh, there were other cars up there that were super fast that had no chance of catching Chris Buescher. So, if that happens again this week... I don't know how much practice matters, and I'm so bummed out to say that. But we've we've seen it, you know, the last three weeks, and now, I love the parity. I really do. I think it's great to have guys that are not in the playoffs that are taking chances and winning races. But with that being said, are there guys that are on that cut line? Are they just going to be very comfortable taking four tires and finishing fourth or fifth? I, I think if you're a crew chief or you're an owner of a team,
2: man, I don't know if I don't know if you can. If you think you have a car that can go out and win the race, even with some of the concerns we've seen, I think you have to try and go out there and take
1: it. Well, you know, and th- but that's the argument, right? Like, you know, you look at the teams that took four tires and then finished in the, you know, in the top five versus Chris Busher that took two tires. You know, I think you'll see guys that are right on that cut line be more aggressive. They have to be, right? Because you're coming into two races that are unknown. I guess maybe one in Talladega, and then you have a road course. So if if you're someone like, let's say Ryan Blaney, I know he has a road course win at the Roval, but I don't want to get into that. If you're Ryan Blaney, I think you kind of have to take a chance. He hasn't shown a ton of speed like he did early in the year. I think if you're Ryan Blaney, you give him clean air you get him two fresh tires, and if you can let him set sail, even if there's 30 laps to go, I think Ryan Blaney can hold people off. And uh, it, it's so crazy how deep we have to go when it comes to finding an edge, when it comes to handicapping. Because I do think there are guys that are gonna be super conservative. They're gonna feel, they're gonna be the Chad Canals, where let's put four fresh tires on, let's make sure we don't have a failure, let's take our eighth place finish, and let's move on to the next round. And We have to take that into consideration. To ignore it would be, you know, could cost us money. So I don't want to do that yet.
2: Well, I think to your point that, yes, you can't put all of the weighted emphasis on how some of these cars practice, especially in a track where you're not going to see fall off most likely. Now, I know hotter temperatures can often lead to some unique on-track events transpiring, but you're going to want to read comments. You're going to want to try and figure out who felt most comfortable with their feel, and I think that can be as indicative. But when you do look at some of the drivers, just a couple of data points as we highlight some of those favorites. Denny Hamlin, who's priced at 5-1, to one, as we mentioned, won the spring race here in 2019, was runner-up this past year in the All-Star race. However, those are the only top five finishes in his last nine Texas tries. Five of his last nine finishes have been 21st or worst. I mean, you look at that price of five to one, you can understand why Chris doesn't want to advocate for betting in pre week. Kyle Larson, seven to one, four top four finishes on intermediate tracks this season and four top eight finishes in his last seven starts. You're starting to see him regain a little bit of that form, even if he hasn't isn't showing race-winning speed. Last year in this very race, he led 256 of the 334 laps. Chase Elliott at 8-1, to one, he's not had a top five in any of his last nine Texas starts, including finishing 12th and 20th back in 2020, and 13th and 32nd a year before that, Was 7th in this race last year. When you look at his intermediate track finishes this season, three of those six have seen him finish 29th or worse, not just because of speed, he hasn't been able to race incident-free. Meanwhile, Christopher Bell, who we talked about as the most consistent driver, at least through the first phase of the postseason, average finish of fourth in the opening round and was the points leader when the checkered flag waved at Bristol last weekend, finished third in this very race the last two years to go along with five top eight finishes in his last seven tries at intermediate tracks. And when you look at Christopher Bell's season in a nutshell, since his win at Loudon, his average finish of 10th, over his last 10 races, just outside the top 10 in the last 19. And that number is drastically better if we remove a 26-place finish at Michigan and a 36-place finish at Indy. So he has been the model of consistency if you're looking at a driver that's burst onto the scene, William Byron. Eighth at Darlington, sixth at Kansas, third at Bristol. The 24 clearly will be a force. I do want to ask about a couple of other drivers as well, Worm. You talked about non-playoff drivers and the impact that they could still have On this season, when you're looking at building a race card, we see Martin Truex Jr. getting a ton of respect in the market at 10-1, to priced significantly shorter than most playoff drivers, and then Kevin Harvick upwards of 20-1. to You look at Harvick, and this is a broken record for the four. He has a history at Texas of running exceptionally well, 13 top 10 finishes in his last 14 starts. I know that's back before the reconfiguration, but he has been the model of consistency. Mile-and-a-half tracks, he stayed out of trouble, and maybe racing without any concerns about the playoffs, he can go out there, put his car in a position if there's enough chaos around him to get a top five or maybe even a better podium finish than that.
1: Well, the term Harvicking came from, you know, Atlanta originally, but whenever there's a high wear track, like Kevin Harvick kind of tends to toy with the field. You know, he lets off the gas way sooner and he's not a high line guy, typically at high wear tracks. He usually is a bottom feeder and that's where you get the term Harvicking. I actually do tend to like Kevin Harvick. I mean, yes, last week was was kind of interesting because he's been pretty much 15 to 20 to 1 every week, right? He wins two races, and then the following race, he's still 15 to 20 to 1, and all of a sudden, he's in a must-win situation at Bristol, and all of a sudden, he's 12 to 1, and then he gets bent, bet down to 8 to 1. Kevin Harvick was mm, not really a threat to win the race at all. Like there was never a chance. It was like, wow, Kevin Harvick's going to win and he's going to advance that, that, that just didn't happen. But I do think now that there's like this, whatever's lifted off his shoulders he can go out there and win races. I mean, if there's a track where you can find a guy at 20 to one, like Kevin Harvick, I actually do think that there's great value here. Now, when you talk about the 19 car, I, I hmm, man, I might be biased, I think that this is where you might need to keep me in check because I think the last two races, Truex has had an amazing car and, you know, to, to see him not get the finishes that he deserves um, with the speed that he's had in his race car. I think there's a good chance that, you know, Martin Truex Jr. is a good racer and he's in that, that JGR equipment that's been dominant on mile and a half track. So I think both of those guys provide as much or more value than some of the 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 chase drivers that you know we've talked or the playoff drivers that we've talked about i mean those guys are they're seasoned vets and when it gets hard to pass you need to have a little bit of an edge of like hey i've been here before whether the the track is the same you know uh banking and configuration you still need guys that can go out there and get it done and feel confident uh, getting back to the gas, which is super important in a track like this, where a little bit of momentum on a restart, you know, you could lose three or four positions, not to mention you throw in shifting. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is a, the fact that they're sh- even talking about shifting at this track is uh, so foreign to me uh, versus some of the short tracks where it's, it's, it's happened, you know, I don't know, almost every year. So, I really like, I kind of like Kevin Harvick, and I certainly like Martin Truex Jr. Uh, Both those guys have had speed, and I would say when it comes to speed, the the Toyotas are faster, but Kevin Harvick just seems to uh, get things done whenever he's 20 to 1.
2: Yeah, it's always interesting, and like we talk about, every single time we get on this podcast, flip on the mics, it's all about price. You can like a driver to win a race, but if he's priced at 6-1, to one, that may not offer value. A driver at 20-1 to one to help build your dance card makes a lot more sense. We'll see if there are any long shots that can enter the equation here. I mean, as I look down the board, Eric Jones and the triple digits, hey look, we've seen weirder things before. He has shown a little bit of speed at mile-and-a-half tracks. Darlington, he was exceptional there. Now, I know it's obviously much different from a wear and tear standpoint. Uh, But one driver that stood out to me a little bit, if you're looking to try and catch lightning in a bottle, so to speak, as we try and figure out what data points to use. All right. I'm waving the checkered flag, but I want to give you a chance. If there were any drivers you wanted to highlight or any other nuggets that you think we should share with our listeners uh, as they start to identify some investing opportunities before we get to the best bet portion of the show.
1: I think the most important thing is to actually understand where we are in the sport. And that's right now, reliability is more important than anything else. So if if you want to bet a driver that has a like is uh, a driver that's on the bubble, I think you're gonna see them play it very conservatively. They have to. Especially with the tire failures we saw at the All Star race. And it's not like things have gotten better, right? Things have gotten you know, more obscure, (laughs) like things that are happening, whether it's, you know, the, the fire with Kevin Harvick that obviously NASCAR did a great job of making sure it was taken care of, but all of a sudden you have power steering or you have right front issues or setup issues. I think you're going to see some of the teams that are right on the bubble play it very conservatively. So I think that that's where I'm going to avoid, you know, investing some of my money where I'd like to invest it is guys like Truex and Kevin Harvick. And I think that because they're in a situation where they need to go out and win races, and a guy like Martin Truex Jr., he's arguably had some of the fastest cars over the last five weeks. I I think you could argue that he might be the fastest guy the last five weeks. I mean, uh, he had uh, multiple fast laps at Bristol. He had the second most fast laps the week before. And I think that team is it struggling to get finishes? And so I, I would look to that 19 team and maybe some of the other non-playoff drivers that are willing to risk a little bit to get that track position and then hold off guys on fresh tires. Because you know what? You cannot take the risk and just take no tires or not pit when you've had these failures in the past. So I think most playoff guys will be taking for... Take the Chad Canals, super conservative, and I think there'll be value on the non playoff guys.
2: That's good intel. I mean, those are the kind of little nuggets that you're looking for if you're trying to go in and take a shot on a pre week position uh, before you have a little bit more data, quotes from drivers, crew chiefs, and all of the other elements that you should always be putting into your NASCAR equation, which provides the perfect setup for someone that's in a capital city right now who was playing politician earlier in the show sitting on the fence. I'm going to put your feet to the fire. You've been very good with these pre-week bets. I think it's back-to-back top fives and top tens that we've been able to knock out with William Byron at Kansas. Kyle Larson last week with a top five. Where have you identified a way for us to put our bankroll to good use before Sunday?
1: Well, there was someone that won a race two weeks ago that was speaking to me when he told me to, you know, I don't know if it was shut the hell up per se, but I think Bubba Wallace To finish in the top 10 at minus 140 is a great bet this week. I think that the Toyotas have a ton of speed, and I think that he's out there with something to prove. He's not in the playoffs. And if I can get a Toyota to finish in the top 10 at minus 140, I'm taking it. I think Bubba's proved himself, and for the first time ever, I will be backing Bubba Wallace to finish in the top 10.
2: Look at you, a guy that you've avoided in matchups in the past because you didn't trust his ability to keep the machine on the track. But when you look at Bubba, yes, he finished 29th at Bristol. Uh, He has been the model of consistency if you remove his 35th place finish at Watkins Glen, a guy who's finished no worse than 13th other than those two blemishes. So Bubba Wall is clearly coming of age, driving the 23 car this weekend. We'll see if it can pay dividends for all of our loyal listeners at minus $1.40, a price that is widely available. You can follow Chris on Twitter. That's at Chris Wormy. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there. Most importantly, follow the Stay Green podcast as part of the Bet the Board podcast network at Board Worm, any final parting shots, things you'd like to get off your chest, before we call it a show and you get seven plus or six to six days, seven days. I don't know. I'm not very good with math before we get to run it back and do it all again in anticipation of Talladega. I'm
1: just really conservative right now when it comes to betting. I I think that this is, I think that we still have an edge, but I think that the last couple weeks, uh, reliability issues, I'm okay sitting on the sidelines more so than other weeks, just because we don't know. And I'm not here to gamble. I'm here to make sure that we're making the proper investments so that way, long run, we can make money. And I I just, after the last couple of weeks, I I just don't know. And I haven't said that in a long time in the last 10 years of betting this sport that there's this many reliability issues. And just remember, like, it's okay to not bet a race. And, you know, we didn't even give out a pick on it. At Bristol and Todd thank you for not asking me for one because I would have tried to find I can
2: tell I look at I looked at the data I went through the quotes I was trying to do all my handicapping on race day and Friday and I had the same kind of takeaways as you did normally if there's something that stands out I go hey take a look at this or you tell me to try and dig into it make sure we didn't miss a particular angle but there was nothing that stood out and I feel it would have been a true coin flip uh regardless of what direction we would have gone in some of the head head and you know
1: what that's fine and there's a lot of professional bettors that will say, you know what? Hey, I'm just going to sit out because I'm not quite sure. And um, I think that's important. And right now, I am i don't want to say I'm gun shy. I think that there's a good edge. I'm going to go ahead and pound it. But at this point, I would rather see, um, you know, good racing and NASCAR kind of get some of the reliability issues figured out before I go and put some of my hard-earned money on it.
2: Like. The great Kenny Rogers once said, You have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Hopefully, we'll find something uh, as far as race day matchups on Sunday. Encourage all of you, our loyal listeners of the Stay Green podcast, to check out the website bettheboardpodcast.com. If we find something that meets our high criteria, we'll be posted there. But in the meantime, Run over men, women, and children. Go bet your Bubba Wallace top ten at minus a dollar forty, and come Sunday afternoon from Texas. Hopefully, we'll see you at the window.
0: If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know, with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving fifteen percent on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of sighs guarantees eternal love because you're the long distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know, take off 15 discount not applicable to partner operated flights or taxes and fees terms apply visit go.amex/you know.